Hello and welcome to another episode of the Line in the Sand podcast where Amos and I talk everything AFL football with a particular focus on the Essendon and Hawthorne football clubs. We're recording this late on a Thursday. The Australian cricket team has just disgraced themselves on day one in India of the first test. Um, so we're a little bit down, but let's see if we can um, get up and about after talking about our football clubs and some cracking games from years gone past. Uh, how are you this evening, Amos? Uh, look, I was better at 4.30 this afternoon. I'm not going to admit, but we've unearthed a new Victorian superstar, Hamish. So uh, yeah, on the yeah. day that Warney's will contents got spilled to the media, uh, a new Victorian superstar has uh, started his test career and taking a wicket. So mm-hmm. a very 20, 22 year old Todd Murphy from Echuca is going to be a superstar. Oh, no, no doubt about it. So mm. lucky he didn't come from Roma or else we'd be calling him something else. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be questioning why he was there in the first place. Correct. But, um, yeah. yeah, no, it's just um, proof positive again that if you replace the Australian cricket team with the Victorian Bush Rangers, um, Sheffield Shield team, everything would be much better. Yeah, so yeah, we've got him and Boland, who's our frontline bowlers. Cummins has been bowling pies. Mm. So clearly we know where we have to go. Yeah. Time, time to make Murphy the captain already. I think he's come in and he's shown them what they need to do and got the skills there. Well, I think it's just Hanscom. I mean, Hanscom's the Oh, that's true. Hanscom, he's, um, yeah, he could he go. He batted pretty well, so yeah. everyone else can get stuffed, I think. <laughs> yeah. who, who needs them? Great. Hmm. Um, moving right along, how's the Hawth- How's the week been for the Hawthorne Football Club? Anything, any exciting news going on? Well, there's bits and pieces of news floating around. Uh, lots of match simulation and Mm-hmm. Footage from our training camp down in Morwell. I think the players would be a bit disappointed having to go to Morwell after trips in years past to Noosa and <laughs> New Zealand and all this sort of stuff. I'll be thinking, mm-hmm. geez, we lucked out for this one. But uh, anyway, uh, lots of good footage, impressive performances from our draftees, in, uh, particularly Cam McKenzie and Josh Whittle, who are firming for early season debuts, um, according to the pundits. So uh, very happy with that. Um, the news coming out uh, today uh, that Dylan Moore has signed on for another three years till the end of 26, I think it is. So okay. uh, that's great news uh, for the club and for him uh, because uh, it wasn't too long ago that he was uh, virtually last man standing on the list um, and in very real danger of being delisted. So uh, uh, great uh, effort from him to become one of our more consistent players last season and uh, rewarded with a three-year deal. So uh, really happy for him. And uh, Mighty Mouse can um, go about uh, establishing himself and having a lengthy career in the Hawks. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what else we got? Uh, it's been announced today that uh, uh, Callum Brown's been added to our train-on list um, before the SSP deadline next Wednesday. Uh, haven't so gi- been- they haven't given him much time there. They obviously... <laughs> rate him fairly highly and want to see where he fits in? Well, he was signed by Box Hill, so he's been mm. doing bits and pieces of training. Okay, so the they have seen some of the stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's been pretty impressive from all reports. Uh, and um, he's expected to play in our intra-club match next Wednesday night. Uh, and if the stars align, I might try and get out there, but um, I'm not uh, confident of that happening at the moment, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, but I think that's at like 7.30 or something, but I think yeah. the decision would have to be made before that. So, um, And look, if he does uh, jump on, get a spot on the list, yeah, he's played 70 games for Collingwood. He would, you know, surprisingly cut last year, you know, 
under the new coaching of um of uh Craig McRae, uh, but it was a favourite of Nathan Buckley. So, uh, and given we have a a list that's fairly devoid of experience, uh, and he's only twenty two or twenty three years mm. old, he's not old at all. So it wouldn't be the worst pickup um, to add a bit of depth. So, um, yeah. So I wouldn't be disappointed if that happened. To be fair. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the last bit of news coming out of Hawthorne this week is a little bit obscure, but uh, uh, Peter Haby uh, has been announced as this year's Jack Skinny Titus Award winner Okay. Uh, by the AFL. Uh, so the uh, Jack Skinny Titus Award recognises those who have committed a lifetime uh, to the, the AFL game. And uh, Peter Haby uh, has played a significant role for Hawthorne over four decades, uh, mainly preserving and honouring the history of our famous club. So um, he started back in 1978, uh, mm-hmm. gathering and writing on the Hawks uh, past uh, and research for the MCC, uh, VFL and State Libraries, uh, and is involved in the production of The Hard Way, which is a book that chronicles the club's history uh, before it was published in 1990. And uh, probably more noted at the club for um, having an instrumental role in setting up um, Hawthorne's award-winning, award-winning uh, museum out at Waverley Park. Uh, so uh, himself and a small band of volunteers, former players, um, formed the Hawks Forever Group, um, which was the first official historical committee of the Hawthorne Football Club. So uh, he's been with the club you know, 45-odd years Um and, uh, you know, instrumental in opening the museum and covering the history of the club. Um, you know, and as Bombers fans would have seen last year with the 150-year documentary series, um, you know, those sorts of things don't happen without the input of people like this who are willing to spend the time and dedication to, um, uh, you know, put these collections and, and montages and all sorts of things together. So, um and the Hawthorne Museum, for those who haven't got out to Waverley to see it, is um, really quite impressive. So uh, I would encourage you to uh, make the effort to get out there before it moves uh, along with the rest of the club out to Dingley. Uh, and who knows what improvements they'll make at Dingley. But, um, yeah, the current setup at Waverley is really, really very impressive. So um, all credit to him. That's it. Anything? That's it for the news of yeah. our week. Anything for the Bombers? Uh Look, you know, um, similarly to squabbling and general, general uh, uh, misalignment of goals and confusion and delay. The the club seems to well, you know, there's um, the the typical muckraking from the Herald Sun has been happening over the last few days, and I don't really want to give that much airtime because most of it has been pretty disgraceful, if you ask me. We're ten years on from. the supplement saga and, you know, people are just trying to move on with their lives. There's nothing that's been added. Like there's literally nothing that has been added to any of these stories. It's just the, um, you know, the Herald Sun trying to chase headlines in the off season. Yeah. Uh, even, um, even worse than that, you know, trying to, um, you know, create controversy that probably isn't even there given that they've talked to neither, um, James nor um, the current club president about it, but try to pretend like there was turmoil at Bobbers and, you know, that Heard was going to be president if he wasn't going to be coaching all those sorts of things. <laughs> that That's yeah. just, um, you know, it's just been ridiculous in terms of the media over the last few um, 
days. But I, I look, yeah, it's it's not worth the airtime. Like it's not no. even worth how long we've discussed it now. And it's um, I think you know it'll blow over fairly quickly. And uh, I don't think it's impacted anyone out at the hangar. I think they've um, firmly got their headset where they're supposed to be and um, moving forward towards the season. Um, yeah, for what it's worth, uh, my brother and I. And my brother's original supporter, my Andrew, so has no best interest. Discussed mm. this on Sunday, and we were both uh, uh, a bit annoyed that the Sunday Herald Sun decided to rake over the old coals. And mm. It's like, who gives a shit? But let sleeping dogs lie. Let everybody get on with it. Um, yeah, all the different players and people involved tried to move on. So, how about we do the same? Yeah, I think um, the person now with the biggest axe to grind is uh, James Hurd's dad. And, you know, he's well and truly entitled to give it that he's trying to protect his own son and everything that's happened yeah. there. But um, to let him drive the agenda, as I think the only person that spoke on the record, is not fair on the um, 34 other, well, the 34 players, their families, and the families of all the other um staff internally at the that were there internally at the football club at the time that have all gone through their own plethora of issues. So I think it's time to let that um, lie. You know, I'm always going to have criticisms about how it played out and questions yeah. about whether they, they should have been actually found guilty or not. But it was 10 years ago that it all started. It was um, six or seven years ago that they um, were all found guilty and set out the season. It's time to move on and it's time to um, you know, talk about other clubs with controversies like the North Melbourne Football Club and how that was treated and all the other things that, exactly. uh, you know, I think that's the big story that comes out of it. This shows the AFL hasn't actually learnt their lessons about managing a crisis and they're trying to manage it from a media perspective before, before they manage it from a personal yeah. and player perspective and doing what they actually should be doing. Yeah, it's a classic uh, image protection, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, protect the image of the game before mm. you actually get on and, and- and to me, in this day and age, particularly with the mass media coverage, uh, social media, where opinions are formed at the drop of a hat, um, your best bet is actually, I reckon these days, you come off much better if you actually say, you know what, uh, we're coming down hard on this player X for this transgression. You are not to be at your football club until this is resolved or whatever the mm. case may be. Uh, and yep. actually set the, the example. So mm. particularly if... Um, I mean, I know everybody's got to be a right to uh, be judged, you know, uh, innocent for proven guilty yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But um, if what's been alleged is, um, you know, I can't believe I'm agreeing with Kane Corns on this one, but uh, yeah. if what's been alleged is um, partway through, then uh, there's some serious questions to answer there. So Yeah. Um, yeah, look, I didn't want to get this to be North Melbourne bashing either, but that was just the, you know, example of what the AFL is doing. But let's yeah. get on to some positive S and the news. Um they had a, um, like Hawthorne, they had a match simulation uh, out at the hangar earlier this week. Uh, 75 minutes in the sun, a four-quarter clash. Um, uh, they had a red team and a black team, but given that some players were swapping teams uh, throughout the match, I guess, just to try different combinations, there wasn't really a winner. But it's fair to say that um, a few standouts for me from watching the footage, reading the articles, and also um, you know following some people that are Essendon fans that have way too much time on their hand and get out to trading <laughs> way more often than I can. I, um, I can't understand how these people are able to do it. Like, yeah. I mean, I know it's easy to take a laptop and start working from the, the bleachers, but seriously. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I look, uh, you know, I, I, I work for myself, so I have some flexibility there, but I certainly don't have the time to go and sit out there no. as much as that some of these people do. But um, yeah, look, 
some of the big guns uh, did well. Parish and Merritt um, were strong through the midfield, getting a lot of possession. Um, and, you know, from what I'm hearing, they were probably doing a bit more with the possession than perhaps some of the cheap possessions they got last year. So hopefully that's a Scott influence on them to actually do more with the ball instead of just getting the ball uh, down back. Uh, Ridley's obviously going to play a strong part of defense there. But the two big things for me from a defensive perspective were um, apparently Andrew McGrath spent his entire time um, playing down defense. And I think that's, you know, yes, maybe Essendon shouldn't have picked a number one draft pick uh, that's ended up playing defender, but it's clearly his best position and it's where he's performed best throughout his career. So I think, um, you know, again, Scott's come in and said, well, you know, you've got a player that could be a superstar there, so you may as well play him where he's actually going to be good and actually have the most impact. So, yeah, he um, was breaking lines and breaking contests, coming off the half back and didn't spend any time through the middle. Um, yeah. Apparently, you know, the mature, um, the, the draftee, mature draftee, Rhett Montgomery, um, um, was looking really good down back and he's make, he's pressing his case for an early, um, an early selection, which is good. Uh, Draper was playing on one team the whole time and, you know, battling it out against Phillips and Brian, all who performed well, but, um, Draper is apparently the most impressive part about his game was actually when he was rested down forward um, at, at stages or moved down forward at stages, he um, was taking some big clutch marks and kicked a goal on the run, which is not something you'd expect from. Um, <laughs> well, I can't one goal of you doing that, didn't he? So well, that, that's true. I mean, you know, maybe, he's, maybe it's, it. maybe it's just a new part of his game. So yeah, look, <laughs> um, you know, clearly Essendon's in their premiership window and everything's um, everyone's ahead of schedule and performing like superstars. So it's, a very exciting start to the season and uh, they're off to um, the, the Gold Coast uh, to play um, or Gold Coast that metric and Oval on um, Feb 24 is their first practice game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Hard to believe it's sort of two weeks to go really, isn't it? So mm. now, given that uh, our two clubs are playing each other in round one uh, and neither club has a captain, who are we expecting to toss the coin? Mm. Uh, look, I... Yeah, it's not the only round one game that the Hawks and Essendon are playing against each other, mind you. It's the, true. Um, it's true. The VFLW teams, um, or the VFL and the VFLW round one draft, or well, round one fixtures have been released, and uh, on the twenty um, fifth, I think it is, or the twenty sixth. Let me just check that fixture. Oh, Sunday, March twenty sixth, out at um, the Hangar. The um, VFL team, we were playing uh, GWS in the VFL, but the VFLW prior to that at 11am, uh, the Essendon hosts the Hawks out at um, Tullamarine. So barring any unforeseen circumstances, I'll make my way out there that morning and try and settle in for the day or as long as I can until Angus gets bored and decides he wants to come <laughs> home anyway. But we'll yes. we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, so it's safe to say uh, mm-hmm. I won't be going to watch uh, the Hawks play uh, their opening round game. Um, because we're in Sydney at mm. Tramway Oval um, at 10.05 on the 26th mm. in the morning. So, uh, and yes, but we may make it out to the uh, VFLW um, mm. and see if we could do an OB. Mm. See what happens. Uh, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if I'll get, get out of the hangar alive, to be honest. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a fair chance you'd be the only Hawk supporter if you were there at 11 a.m. on the 26th on a Sunday morning. But um, I'll, I'll yeah, bring straight, uh, Stranger things, it. bring the Correct. kids, then you've got three of you there. Stranger things have happened, though. Um, but back to your question about uh, the tossing of the coin in the um, AFL men's uh, round one. Look, 
Heppel has Heppel has said, you know, that he's happy to step aside if he wants to, but he also hasn't necessarily said he doesn't want to be captain. Yeah. So it's you know, it's possible um that he will still give me the chance. I guess the question just becomes is is he gonna be consistently in the best twenty two yeah. with some of the younger players coming through? Like you know, I, I think he deserved to have the his contract extended this year. I think he's got a lot to add still, even just from a mentoring perspective, if he doesn't yeah. play all 22 games. But um, I think if you get like 17 games or something, 16 hmm. games out of him, that's, you know. Yeah. So. yeah, but I mean, the obvious next um, person in line would be Zach Merritt, um, if not Parrish or McGrath, but they're probably still a little young uh, yeah. Even though they've been in the system for sort of five, six years, they're probably a little young to do it. So I think Merritt's probably the likely next step there for the Bombers. What about the Hawks? Oh, well, I was thinking about this earlier today, actually, because uh, you know, popular uh, wisdom would say that James Sisley is a lock. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, given uh, who we lost over summer and all those sort of things, I can't really see anyone else. Um, mm-hmm. There are a couple around the mark, but they would be, again, quite young. Uh, and you know, uh, it's just unlikely. However, uh, since since uh, you know Luke Hodge handed over the captaincy at the end of 2016, uh, Hawthorne has not gone the popular route mm-hmm. uh, in terms of appointing captains. You know, we've gone through uh, Jared Ruffhead, who was just coming back from his cancer situation, uh, into uh, Ben Stratton, who no one even factored in as an option at the time. Uh, into Ben McAvoy again, who seen as a very solid leader, but not necessarily captain of the club. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, throughout that whole time, uh, there was talk of Liam Shields and uh, Jack Gunston and these types of players. So, uh, and that never materialised, and probably explains why they're both at other clubs next year potentially. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting. As I said, I can't really see anyone else but James Sisley. Uh, because you know the older players that we do have, like Chad Wingard and Carl Amon, and this type of thing, you know, come from other clubs, and you know, Chad Wingard's not really set the the world on fire at the club in his time there. Uh, so, uh, and it is a very young team, so he's the natural fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I expect, I, expect that I, to be announced probably next week. I'd say. I think that makes sense to me too. Um, before we move on to talking about games from years gone past, one last thing out of Essendon. Uh, it seems that um, Hawthorne superstar Tom Phillips won't be lining up with the uh, AFL men's team at Essendon uh, this year. Um, he's missed out, uh, as have um, Mitch Shabowski and Hudson O'Keefe. Uh, having said that, uh, Essendon has given a last-minute opportunity to um, Jack Cleaver. Jack is from WA. He was touted as a draft prospect uh, last year, Um but obviously missed out there. He's um, flown over from WA for a, a couple of weeks. Well, he's been there a, a week or so now and um, obviously a week to go um, to try and strut his stuff. I, I haven't seen or heard any stats that were out of the match, Sim, and what he did there or if he played there, but um, they've given him his chance. Uh, if that doesn't work out, um, you know, there's a spot there for Phillips potentially mid-season uh, if he does impress in the VFL, because obviously he'll still be running around with the Essendon VFL side. And if he... Um, proves himself there, I guess that's the opportunity at mid-season to try and get on either the Essendon list or another list because obviously he still wants to be playing at the AFL level. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been um, running around to try and get that um, SSP sign on um, for Essendon this season. Yeah, I think 
he'd be half a chance to be a mid-season, particularly if, uh, say, Stringer or, or Tip and Woody don't come up. Mm. Stringer from his injuries, Tip and Woody from his late, you know, layoff yeah. from the game and that sort of stuff. If that doesn't work out or whatever, uh, he'd be every chance. I see Stringer got absolutely pilloried by Kane yeah. Collins in the media mm. today or yesterday. Yeah. Um, and maybe fair enough, who knows. But yeah. um, So if that doesn't work out for the Bombers, then there's got to be a chance there, I would have thought, yeah. for the oh. second half. So. I mean, either the rest or even another club, like if there's a long-term yeah. injury or something that happens, you've yeah. got a, a ready-made player who's still relatively young, will still be fit because he's playing at the um, VFL level and yeah. um, knows what it's like to play at the highest level. So you could fit him in somewhere if you needed him. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I think absolutely. So he's a nice uh, option to have up the sleeve, I think. Mm. And, yeah, you know, obviously closely linked with the Bombers, given the VFL situation. Yeah. So. Mm. Oh, yeah, it's not uh, the worst thing that can then, happen. I'll be interested to see how he does go in the VFL. Yeah, exactly. So, mm-hmm. Now, lastly, uh, and a bit of a lighter note uh, before we move on to more serious things, uh, for those of us uh, watching Australian Survivor, we're on uh, David Zaharakis' watch. Certainly <laughs> uh, my wife is anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's still going. He's still there. He's formed, well, an unlikely alliance, shall we say, with ex Carlton Ruckman Sean Hampson on the uh, on the show. Right. Uh, he's. Uh, I don't think he's contributing too much from a strategic point of view and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the physical challenges he's going well in. Uh, but uh, for some of those boys, uh, yeah, any opportunity to get the shirt off, uh, <laughs> they're taking it. So, <laughs> yeah, like he's uh, he's thinking about his post career media opportunities and uh, post AFL career media opportunities and what he's going to do next. Hey. Mm. Correct. So uh, so he's still going. Every chance to get to merge, and uh, we'll keep you updated as we go. Well, you're going to have to keep the, our um, <laughs> tens of listeners updated about that because it's fair to say that not even um, a former Essendon player has um, encouraged me to watch Survivor. It's not my um, it's not my reality TV show of choice. Um, I'm more of a maths fan. I, I like cast. seeing True Love on television, and um, and you know people getting on there for the right reasons and um, mm. forming. Uh, yeah, the, the massive success rate they've had on um, couples staying together post-show is just something that keeps me coming well, back. Well, yeah, is there, is it, give yourself a plug, you and, mm-hmm. you and your good lady wife. Uh, we have had a, a, we have podcast. Had a podcast, um, yes, um, and um, we, ha- we, haven't, we haven't started this season yet. We're a week and a half in, so we're not actually sure whether we'll get through this season given that um, life gets in the way and, you know, I had to prioritise podcasts. <laughs> but, um, you know, we are still watching it together and still enjoying the oh, show. Well, as long as it keeps you guys happy, that's the main thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, tell me, Amos, what, what game have you had a look at this week and what game do you want to talk about? Well, uh, we've gone back to 2007 in the archives. Uh, round 6, 2007, uh, Hawthorne and Essendon played at the uh, MCG. Uh, amazingly, uh, it was an Essendon home game uh, in front of 52,000 people. Uh Hawthorne, it was a Saturday afternoon, 2.10 start, can you believe? Um, the good old days. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, And look, I chose this game for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, because I remember being there at the ground uh, and it was the first time under Alistair Clarkson's tenure uh, that I could really tell personally, others would have before me, no doubt, uh, exactly what he was trying to achieve uh, with the team uh, in terms of what we now know as the Clarko cluster. 
Um, and and also, um, it was uh, Buddy's coming out parade, really. He kicked nine goals uh, on the day, dominated uh, a couple of quarters, uh, and led the Hawks to victory by 35 points. Um, notwithstanding the margins, you know, ho-hum margin and, um, and all that sort of stuff, uh, Essendon nearly managed to crack 100. Um, you know, the score final scores 2011, 131 to 15, 6, 96. Uh, the Bombers' accuracy probably kept them in the game. Um, but for me, as I was watching the game from my preferred seating in the uh, Olympic stand uh, in that forward pocket there at the punt road end, you could actually see the grid lines forming that Hawthorne were trying to achieve where they would just set up the, the zone, even when it wasn't a, from a kick-in. Uh, and Essendon trying to find their way through the zone that just seemed to shift across the ground uh, as the ball went sideways and backwards and things like that. Um, and they're like, ah, oh, that's exactly, that's what they're trying to achieve with this structure that they're going with, uh, trying to keep the ball out of the forward 50 so that when they get it, they can just springboard into attack because um, everybody's able to run forward, open forward line with Buddy and Ruffy going nuts and, uh, you could see the Bombers players getting really frustrated. I've watched this game on TV a few times as well as it's come on Fox or whatever. Um, and even the, the commentators are saying, oh, okay, the Bombers can just not get through this this zone that's been set up uh, and things like that. So uh, for me, uh, yeah, the fact that Hawthorne kicked 20 goals is great, but he kicked nine. Uh, he played most of the game on Paddy Ryder, uh, a young Paddy Ryder, I'll point out. Uh, and I think for a lot of people, most of us saw that being the new, new Kerry Jakovic matchup for the next 15 years. Mm-hmm. Paddy Wright at centre back obviously became uh, a pretty decent tap ruckman. Uh, but um, like I said, it was really for me the first time that I was able to piece together what Hawthorne were about in terms of setting up this uh, this way of playing um, and just seeing a team struggle to get through it. And you know, over that period of time. Uh, 2007, 2008, Hawthorne really stymied a lot of teams getting into the defensive, uh, their forward 50, which meant our defenders were not under pressure. We were able to springboard from halfback and kick it down to a pretty loaded forward line. So, um, as I said, Buddy kicked nine. Tim Boyle, for those who remember, Tim Boyle kicked three. Uh, ben Dixon kicked three, roughhead two, uh, and then a couple of singles. Uh, obviously, Franklin was best on ground. Um uh, Shane Crawford led the way with 27 touches for the Hawks. Uh, I think Jason Johnson led the way for the Bombers with uh, 30. And Hurdy uh, had 29 touches himself and 10 marks, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, Essendon had about 40 or 50 more touches on the day. Mm. Uh, but a lot of that was kicking sideways and backwards and things because they could just not penetrate uh, the zone that Hawthorne set up. So for me, to, you know, around 6, 2007, I thought, shit, we've actually got the structure, right? Now, Essendon weren't a top team at that te- at that time. They're coming off, uh, I think, 2006, where it wasn't a great year for you guys, if I remember rightly. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, if we could do that against the better teams in the competition, then uh, we'll hold ourselves in pretty good stead. Uh, and that proved to be the case because we got to, you know, to the second week of the finals in 07, obviously won the flag in 08, um, playing a very similar structure stifling teams through the middle of the ground and then able to springboard quickly into attack. So, uh, And it also helps when you've got the calibre of Buddy and Ruffy sitting in the forward line to accept whatever comes their way. Um, but yeah, it was a great game of footy. 50,000 on a Saturday afternoon at the G. Um, 
Hawthorne winning by six goals against the Bombers doesn't get much better, to be honest. No, I wish it was a final. Would have made my life complete. But uh, um, really enjoyed it. Uh, I've watched it, um, like I say. And, you know, to Paddy Ryder's credit, actually, he played quite well at Buddy uh, in that day. Buddy just kicked a fair few goals out of nothing. Wasn't mm. your classic lead up, take a mark or a pack mark and things like that. Yeah, he found it on the ground. Um, you know, the ball would just bounce into his hands and these sort of things. It would spill out of a pack and he'd be in the right spot. Uh, but it also showed his his athleticism and agility because there's not many six foot six guys who could just pick it up off the no. ground and snap it in one step, kick it 50 meters and this sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that was really his coming out to me. You know, for me as well, we'd obviously seen glimpses in the couple of seasons prior where uh, Hawthorne was still um, blooding all the young kids and, and everything like that. And I think we won, you know, five games in 05 and five in 06. Um, and then 2007, obviously, started the march up the ladder. Uh, and for me, that was the first real sign that um, we were on our way. Um, so, yes, quite a poignant game for, for me anyway. And, um, you know, uh, it was onwards and upwards from there. I, I do remember that game. I was there as well. Uh, it was, um, look, you know, Essendon, after finishing, I think, 15th the season before, obviously um, wasn't necessarily a season of high hopes for the Bombers. But, um, you know, we started well. We were in front at quarter time, but it was, right, all, yeah. it was all downhill from there. Um, <laughs> uh, it yeah. was actually Damien Peverell that had the most possessions for the That's Bombers right, that day with Sorry. 31. Yes. Um, the He with the flat nose that put his head a few too many times. Um, <laughs> and the bouffant hair. Yes, um, James Heard still proved the late, you know, even that late, sort of that later on in his career that he still had it, but, um, you know, yeah. with 29 possessions, like you said. Uh, but yeah, look, that was the big thing for me that I remember from the day. Like, yeah, they were all over it in terms of the possession numbers, but that doesn't necessarily um, translate into winning the game if you're not, if your possessions aren't necessarily efficient or actually moving forward and, uh, you know, being dangerous on the scoreboard, the, the big standout um, in terms of, um, you know, the stats was, you know, it was 31 scoring shots to 21. So if Essendon's only yeah. shooting at uh, 21 times, that means they're not getting it into the forward 50 and they're, um, they're never get, they were never going to get the result. No, that's right. And, you mm. know, uh, Hawthorne also had a pretty fair ruck dominance that day. It was 44 hit outs to 22 or mm. 23 or something. So, um, yeah, obviously getting first use, shall we say, um, and all that sort of stuff. So, um Interesting, a couple of names in the Bombers lineup. Courtney Johns kicked two goals for the Bombers. I think he was a leading scorer with a couple of points as well. Jason Laycock was playing. Uh, probably answered the question as to why he didn't get many hit outs because he was not known for his uh, mm. engine, shall we say. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I think Essendon at that time was going through that transition period too of, you know, you're transitioning out a lot of the players who had done well in the early yeah. 2000s, the Johnsons, mm. the Herds and these types. Um and bringing in some of the younger guys for that, that next phase, like your Brent stands and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so, as you say, it wasn't too much of a high hopes game. And like I said, uh, for me, it wasn't necessarily the fact that, um, you know, Essendon were going to be a top team that year or anything like that. It was just that, yeah, the system mm. actually works. We can see it, or I could yeah. see it clearly, mm. uh, doing what it was intended to do. And, um, you know, it became obviously fairly successful over the next couple of years before Ross Lyon went, Uber on us all and took it away. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, it's fair to say that, um, you know, all respect to him for making it to the top level, but it's fair to say that um, Jason Laycock didn't, <laughs> um, 
didn't live up to his top 10 draft, um, being the number 10 draft pick and having a um, rising star nomination. In did he get a early, rising? He did wow. get a nom- rising star nomination. Um, oh, my God. So it's fair to say that he didn't live up to that um, consistently throughout his career. Um, but, yeah, no, I think you're right. It was a transition period for the Bombers, um, you know, players that were there for that sort of, you know, 99 to 2001 period that was still on the list, um, like, um, you know, Heard, Heffern and the Johnsons, um, players like that were on the way out. Um, you know, Paddy Ryder, Brent Stanton, Joe Watson yeah. had started playing, but they were still, and you know, they played well, but they were on the way up. So they still had yeah. to learn there. But and, yeah. Um, yeah. So look, I think Essendon probably exceeded their, my expectations of them that day uh, in mm. terms of um, getting the ball and still being able to play. But yeah, look, comprehensively yeah. outplayed and obviously that was a time when the Hawks were coming into one of their better periods as well so it was um um you know all the st- like lead the lead up to and um you know they showed it and like you said um Buddy Franklin when he had a day out like that there, no one was going to stop him it wouldn't uh, matter who you have like no. he was still just going to um dominate anybody so I think um like you said um he did what he could but um was never yeah. going to get any better than that no well I think Buddy you know I think he kicked six goals um in two batches of three, you know, twice he kicked like three goals in 10 minutes or something like mm. that. And all six of them were not conventional key forward type yeah. goals. You know, they were spilling out of a pack, picking up off the ground, this sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, but the other thing that stood out to me, so Essendon kicked 15 goals, six, as you say, 21 scoring shots. On a lot of other days, that's, you know, 12-9 or 11-10. So the margin could have easily been 50 or 60 points. Mm. Um and if I remember rightly, it was a pretty grey day at the MCG too with a bit of a fluky breeze. So the fact that both teams kicked, you know, 35 goals, 17 or something between mm. them um, was a pretty pretty good effort. It was a pretty good game of footy because of that. But, um, yeah, so that's why I chose that game because for me it was really the turning point for the Hawks for a few years in the doldrums. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, um, you know, we made the finals for the first time in six or seven years um, in 2007. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, very happy to walk away a winner out of that one. Fair enough. And where where are we? Where's uh, where where are we going to with the your the bombers? Uh, it's fair to say that um, the game that I've chosen, uh, March twenty fifth, two thousand and seventeen, is um one of probably the more emotional games and emotional days for a lot of bomber fans. Um, uh. It's you know the first uh, the first game for a lot of the players back after they'd set out their twelve months suspensions. So um, it was good to see a full strength Bombers team run out on the park after twelve months of um, frustration, disappointment, and um, some fairly big losses. Uh, so that that day there were six of the ten players that were still on the list in two thousand and seventeen that were part of the original thirty four made their returns. Um, Heppel, Watson, Hurley, Hooker, Trav Collier, who, mind you, was the only one still playing over there. He's got a year to go on his um, contract at Fremantle. And Brent Stanton all came back that game and all played relatively well. Um, Standout player for the game, Zach Merritt, 37 possessions. So it even goes back to then when he started really stating his case as one of the um, future stars of the football club as he is. And um, 
it was the captaincy debut for um Dyson Heppel. I, I sometimes forget how long he's actually been captain yeah. for. Um, I was going to ask that. Yeah. Um, that was his first day and first year as um captain, and you know it was a um you know it wasn't a huge win score wise. I think um twenty five yeah, points, 25 but points. you know it was a big win for the club emotionally. Um, and you know it was exciting. They started strong. First three goals of the game. Um. 13 point lead at uh, quarter time, but you know, it was an emotional roller coaster too because the second quarter the Hawks came back and kicked four goals to one. So, um, you know, 14 points down at um, half time. And then, um, you know, even coming into the third quarter, the Hawks kicked the um, first goal. I think it was Isaac Smith that kicked the first goal of the third quarter as yeah. well, meaning that um, we. Yeah, you know, look, you'd started well, and then suddenly like that, you think, oh, shit, it's this going to be the same thing all over yeah. again. What's going yeah. on? They've come back. We're expecting all these things, um, you know, we're expecting all these good things with all these players coming back, and, you know, they haven't gelled properly, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, they stayed in the game, and I think, you know, it was um, halfway through the third quarter, the Corks were only 13 points up, but then um, five goals in 11 minutes, I, I've – you know, there are very few games I've been at where that sort of the the sort of electric atmosphere from Essendon fans um, had happened. Um, you know, Fantasia still playing at the Bombers then kicked a huge goal. Um, Sean McKern and not known for kicking a goal on the run um, kicked one on no, the run <laughs> and um, you know that sixteen point lead at um, you know nine on uh, three quarter time was just a, a great. Um, feeling but you know even that was tempered when I, it was um McAvoy kicking a goal just before yeah. three quarter time and we're like oh is that is that the momentum done are we are we in trouble what's going on here um but no they uh you know the last quarter um Heppel and um Hooker both opened up kicking goals in the first couple of minutes of the um final quarter so you know we started to um breathe a bit of a sigh of relief there um or he's, as I said, um, you know, it was a big game from Merritt when he was 21. Heppel had 34 um, and three goals as captain. You wouldn't, um, he wouldn't have had many games where he's kicked, had 34 goals and, um, no. oh, sorry, 34 possessions and three goals. So, given that he hadn't played for, um, you know, I think it was something it was well over 500 days. I can't remember the exact about by that time from yeah. the end of the season prior, uh, 12 months off, and then coming through another preseason. It's um fairly amazing that he they got through what they did um look yeah you know go on yeah i was gonna say um but you know it was good to um see how um goddard fit in that side as well um, coming in and yeah how that all worked out um but you know it was a it was um you know an interesting day for hawthorne as well like you know it was mitchell um coming down to the Hawks. He had a big game, 37 possessions. And, you know, that was probably the start of people looking at him and going, oh, hang on, this guy's got the potential to be a superstar. Yeah, that's why they drafted or gave yeah. up top 10 picks for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I remember, uh, yeah, I was at the game. It was a nice balmy night at the MCG. And uh, uh, Flick and I went uh, together for what, the first time for ages, probably since our son was born. I was 18 months old at the time. But, uh, and... I remember there was just that, obviously, the excitement for round one and what's the season hold. Hawthorne had finished in the top four the previous year, went out in straight sets, uh, you know, still coming down off our three-peat, obviously. Uh, still got most of that list together. You're thinking, well, you know, we finished straight sets in the finals. The boys have had a bit of extra time to refresh and regroup. Uh, and we're just going to roll in and, and here we go again. But then there was that nervousness because you thought, well, shit, uh, if the Bombers get... Um, 
a roll on, they get that excitement going and, you know, their players, even though they haven't played for 18 months and all that sort of thing, you know, if the crowd gets behind them, that could really lift them uh, emotionally and it did. Um, and there's a great atmosphere at the game. There's no question hmm. about that. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of emotion too from Hawthorne supporters because, um, you know, it was Ruffy's first game as captain as well uh, and he just come back from, you know, 18 months out himself after his uh, cancer um treatment and everything like that so um, the fact that he was made captain after that was a bit of a surprise um, and certainly uh, a much loved figure at Hawthorne obviously uh, so the fact that he was back playing I think um, I, I stand corrected because I don't have the stats in front of me but uh, Ty Vickery might even run out for the Hawks that night as our boom recruit over the summer with Tom Mitchell um, uh, and, you know played five more games with us or something like that but uh <laughs> <laughs> one of our great uh, pickups, mm-hmm. um, but um, you know, it was it was a great game of footy. Always good round one, especially when there's a big crowd at the G. Um, a little fact, I think. Uh, so you mentioned Heppel uh, running out for captains the first time. Not often there'd be uh, two AFL captains from Lee and Gather mm-hmm. uh, at the same. You know, because both uh, Ruffy and him from Lee yep. and Gather. So I remember there was a little bit made about that at the time. Uh, but I think, you know, despite being disappointed that we lost uh, and then subsequently, uh, I think the next four weeks were an absolute disaster for Hawthorne and really uh, gave Hawthorne supporters a uh, a reality check, uh, you know, losing to the Gold Coast by shitloads and St Kilda by bucket loads down in Tassie and things like that. Uh, it was great to see Ruffy, you know, just back out there from a Hawthorne perspective after, mm. you know, dancing with the devil, as it were. So, um yeah, so it was a good, good game. Bombers won, unfortunately, but um, yeah, it was a change in the gut of the guard for Hawthorne too at that time. Yeah, uh, it was also the debut game for Andrew McGrath. Twenty-two possessions, um, and you know he um, again looked like he uh, had the chance to um, make it there. And um, yeah, he obviously is still there all these years later, and I'm expecting big things out of him this year. As I said, um, based on what he did during the match, sim and where and coming off the um, halfback line where I think he's most comfortable. Um, Just, you know, in terms of the 2017 season, I think it did set the Bombers up well for a better season than expected given the circumstances. Um, They, um, you know, won the following week against the Lions before losing to Carlton, which was disappointing the week after that. But, um, you know, finished the season in seventh spot. Unfortunately, that meant um, Catherine and I... um, making a road trip up the highway to Sydney. We, we um, left it. Well, you know, we didn't know where Essendon was going to finish and by the time, and as happens in the week between the last round of the season and, um, and the first week of the finals tickets that were um, $200 at three quarter time were a thousand dollars by the end of the game. So we decided to, um, so we decided to drive uh, yeah. and um, we um, drove up and, Stayed the night, watched the game. We're very disappointed. Um, it, we got smashed 121 to 56 in that first final. Um, and it was dro- drove back the next day. We um, we did solve all the world's problems in the car, so that was good. But uh, yeah, the game it's, it's fair to say that that final um, left a bit of a sour taste, um, only made worse by the sour taste left over my um game, um, flo- over us flying over to Optus Stadium in Perth to get smashed <laughs> by um 
West Coast there, which sure. I still get PTSD about every time I get an email about anything at Optus Stadium because I <laughs> seem to be on their mailing list now, even though I bought a ticket as an Essendon member to go over there. So surely they, their marketing would think, oh, maybe he's not going to come to all these um, concerts and games. Maybe we should leave yeah, but It's when you put your postcode as 6,000 in the, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's where you're yeah. stuffed up. <laughs> yeah, true, probably. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. But no, two pretty good games to cover, I think. Love it when these two teams play at the G as we are in round one in a few weeks' time because, uh, I don't know, uh, two it, big clubs, yeah, big it's, rivalry. It's never done well at Marvel yeah. Stadium. No, it's not the same. And I think, you know, I think we'll get more than the 50-odd thousand that you'd get in at Marvel Stadium. I'm not quite sure yeah. we'll hit the 78,000 that they had there on um, the um, – that we had there in 2017 it's fair to say that both clubs are in a slightly different circumstances to what they were that season yeah. but you know we could go close to the first round of the season they're both uh, well, clubs think, with big supporter bases it's um, yeah and i think yeah. uh you know, hawthorne from our perspective we know where hawthorne are at young team mm. plenty of hope but we all just want to see the young kids and see how they go bombers obviously hoping mm. with brad scott coming in what's the new changes and all that sort of stuff yeah uh, yeah, I think I think there'll be a bit of that. It'll be like, okay, so we've seen what's happened in the match teams. What's he actually going to do on game day and yeah, see how that goes? Yeah. Hmm. That's it. And if it's nice weather, because it's a Sunday afternoon game at 3.20, yeah. uh, if it's good weather, I could easily get 60,000. Hmm. That's my prediction anyway. I'm running with it. Looking forward to it. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, that has been another episode of the Line in the Sand podcast. Uh Chances are we'll keep going with these match reviews as um, we lead up into the season, unless something strange or shocking happens at our either of our clubs and we have to um, do a special episode. In the meantime, if you have enjoyed what you've listened to, please tell your friends and family. Please share our Facebook page at Line in the Sand Podcast and leave a five-star review on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you and we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone. 